1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we are going to be picking right back up where we left off last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will be picking right up here in verse 4 where we left off. Read with me. We're going to take and we're going to finish up this section that we were not able to get through last week. So let's just read four through nine with me here. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are some powerful verses right there. Just in that part of the beginning of the letter here from Paul to the Corinthians. If you remember last week, we started off with a little bit of introductory. That's all we got through is three verses. And we know that we see here in the, of who we're talking about from the very beginning is Paul. Paul the Apostle. Sosceles, who was with him. He was, he was probably his scribe writing these things down. He was... Certainly, in the beginning, that, yeah, that man was an enemy uh, toward God. But now we find him saved and, and now working alongside and helping and supporting Paul. And we notice that this letter is written by Paul to the, the Corinthian church because a delegation from that church came and found Paul in Ephesus 200 miles away. Because there was some division and some problems going on within the Corinthian church that needed to be addressed. And so they came and found him and said, Paul, you've got to come back. You've got to address this. Can you? And he wrote this letter to be take back to the Corinthian church to address and how to handle the situations going on within that church. And we see that in 1 Corinthians, and we'll get into the heart of that next week when we pick up in verse 10, where we, he starts addressing those things that were causing problems within the church. Now, as Paul takes a look at here in the very first nine verses of or the first part of his epistle, this letter, Paul um, got to verse 3 where he ends his greeting here with grace, which is common. Five times he says these exact same words in other letters that he wrote. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see through the first nine verses that we see him mention Jesus and reference Jesus at least nine times by name. If not Lord Christ or him capitalized at least another you know, 10 to 11 times just in these first nine to 10 verses. So if it's any clearer to you and I who he is focused upon as being the solution to what he's about to address to the people in this church, it is all about Jesus and keeping your eyes on Jesus. That is key for us as well in the church of today. So Paul sits here and he starts off, and we're going to see five things just in these few verses. 
five things, what we're calling, or the, the title today, <clears throat> is His Grace Brings. And the very first thing that we see is that His Grace Brings Thankfulness to a believer. Thankfulness. We see him right in the very beginning, Paul saying, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. This is not something you reach out and pluck yourself. It's not like, okay, I need God's grace. Let me go on the shelf and pull it off today. It is something he gives to you by his grace, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's a gift. And those who have received his gift are saved, born again, transformed, converted, no longer living in this world. And that's why he says to these people in Corinth, you have grace and because you have grace, you will have peace in your life. If you have no peace, then you do not know grace. And he made it very clear in the beginning of his letter. But he says, I am thankful. See, Paul's thankfulness for the church is filled with such problems. Corinth the Corinthian church was filled with lots of problems. That's why these people were going out of their way to find Paul to help them. But even though this church was filled with such problems and such bitterness and, and such anger and such um, resentment that's going on within this church and with the things that they were doing, which Paul will later on, as we will see in verse 10 and on, he will clearly rebuke and clearly deal with the issues in that church. I mean, he's not going to soft pedal this. It's not a secret sense of church here. He is dealing with it right on. He's not going to let people linger and do what they want to do causing problems. He's going to snip it in the bud. And so he'll see that as we go through this, he clearly will rebuke the sin and correct the error that is going on there. Yet he still sincerely says and says thankful for God's work of grace in their lives. Because their grace is still in their lives. They're still believers. They're still saints. They're still brothers and sisters in the Lord. That doesn't mean it's going to stop him from telling them the truth and in love. But Paul recognized God's work in their lives. Especially God, Paul thanks God for in verse 4 where he says, The grace which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Every good thing that this Corinthian Christian experienced back there was because the fact that God gave him that good thing. He's a good, good father. We, we sang it today. Everything we have received is Good is because of his grace that he gave that to you. And are you thankful for that? May we not take that for granted because you take that goodness that he's given you for granted and it turns into something bad. It turns into rotten fruit. Paul couldn't sit there and say, I thank my God for your righteousness there in the Corinthian church because they weren't righteous. Their behavior wasn't righteous. He couldn't say, I am so thankful for your faith, your deep faith in the Lord. No, he couldn't say it because they weren't being faithful. But he can in his letter say, I thank my God always for his grace given to you by Christ Jesus. Because that certainly they needed. And we need every day, do we not? They need God's grace 
We need God's grace, his unmerited acceptance, his inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless a person. Grace that opens the way for reconciliation and redemptive of usefulness for those who have repenting hearts. His grace opens and allows of redemption. It it allows for reconciliation of those who have repenting hearts, who who are willing to confess they need to change. But so many times pride holds people. God's grace manifested in Jesus Christ makes it all so possible for God to bestow on you as believers this undeserved benefit, this enriched lives, and unite them together in the church, the body of Christ. That is what we've been learning all the way through Romans and all the way in the very beginning last week. The unity, the love that comes together as brothers and sisters within the church is because of our love for Christ. Our unity is to serve him and to die as self and to let him dominate our lives. This world dominates us at times. It surrounds us. It it, it comes at every direction and every emotion and feeling and touch and, and eyesight. Everything is trying to dominate you. Satan is trying to divide and conquer. And the Corinthian church, as we learned last week, allowed the city, that corrupt, immoral, that lustful, pleasureful, prideful city to come into the church. But the answer is what? How do you, how do you heal a church? Well, Paul is making it clear. It's, it's all about Jesus. Take your eyes off the world and your flesh and put it back on to Jesus. Not man, not woman, but back unto Jesus, the one who saved you, the author and the finisher of your life. In Romans 3, 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You couldn't earn it. You can't earn it. It's free. Well, you would just receive it. And God is not done with us yet. God is not done with us once we are saved for eternity. His grace comes and he saves us. That grace, that gift, the gift of grace saves us for eternity. But he's not done with his grace. His grace we need is every day to live this life for Christ. It takes grace. His mercy. Acts 20 verse 32. He says, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's going to help you. He's going to minister to you. He's going to lift you up. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're only able to stand in hope for eternity, for a future. Even have a hope because of his grace. Romans 1.5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. It doesn't matter what nation you find yourself in can be that representative that proclaim of Jesus Christ wherever God takes you. 
Even 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Do you see the thankfulness, the, the thank, the, uh, yeah, the thankfulness of what can come out of his grace? His grace brings thankfulness in one's life. If you rely upon his grace day by day, you will be thankful. You'll have thankful hearts. You will, it will come and be permeating. It will be permeating. It will come right from your life. People look, you're so thankful, aren't you? Yes, I'm very thankful. You're about to lose everything. You're about to, you're sick, you're this. But I'm still thankful. I'm still thankful for what God has done for me and what he's given me. He's given me not only a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth, more chances than I can even count on. And so I'm thankful. And I rest in that because it's his grace. His grace brings that to my life. And it will bring it to your life. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, it will br- I'm so thankful what God is still doing in your life and what he's going to do in your life. God gives us grace to empower us. And his grace brings thankfulness in our lives. Hebrews 12, 28 says, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We're going to be receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The effect of grace in the life of this Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians here was to make them, as we see in verse 5, enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. That brings us to the second thing that his grace brings. His grace brings enrichment, verses 5 through 7. He says his grace brings enrichment in one's life. And we see it highlighted in five areas here in just these verses. The first one is that his grace brings enrichment in all things or everything spiritually, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says, While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanks, thank, get, thanksgiving through us to God. So we know that everything that's spiritual is, is all things are going to be enrich your life. You're going to have an enriched life when you trust in his grace bringing this enrichment into your life. You don't have to go be enrich your life. Some people will try to say, oh, you need to figure out how to enrich your life. You have a dulled life. You don't have a, a, an inspired life. You, don't have, you can put in every t- term you want to use. But you know deep within you want that enrichment in your life spiritually. You want to grow. You want to, to know that you're, you're, there's something going spiritually going well in your life. And people think you need to go find it. No, you just have to receive his grace. And you will see that all things, everything spiritual, will be enriched in your life. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power was given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 
He's doing the calling. He's the giving. He's the providing. He's, did you see anything that where you have to go manufacture this thing? Are you tracking with me? Holy grunt. Amen. Anything from you right now? It would be good. Do you, are, you, are you grasping what grace is? Let me give you a few more for you students and note takers. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Don't be fooled, my brothers and sisters, when people out there are trying to tell you that you have to figure out your spiritual walk. That somehow you have to create it. You have to make it happen. You're going to dominate and get your way because that's how it's going to work. No, let the grace of God be fulfilled in you and let the Spirit of God work through your lives. He gave His only begotten Son so that you could be saved. He's going to give you all things in this walk with Him. As a, as, as a child, as He's going to give you all things to be a, very successful, very fulfilling. So blessed beyond your words. Such hope and such promise. All of that's coming from God if you would just let him, let that pour into your life. Do you, but the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe we are made rich spiritually, blessed by God, or our belief will be, be played out in our lives based on that belief? If you believe, do you believe you are blessed by God? Do you believe you're saved? Do you believe that he's made you rich spiritually? Then you're going to understand it, and it's going to come out of your life like it's breathing. It's going to be natural reflection of your life. That faith is not there, that your that belief is not there, you're going to struggle. Ephesians 1.11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. What's all mean? Hello? All. Everything, right? All things. Do you believe it? I know, I know, brothers and sisters, there's times where we can get to a point where we don't feel it. But you've got to go beyond the feeling and believe the truth of God. And God's word does not lie. He'll give you all things. And we know that all things work together for good to those who what? Love God to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. That promise is for you and I as believers, as children of God. That promise is not for non-believers. So don't give false hope to a non-believer in your family or friends or neighborhood or something else. Oh, God, all, all things will work out to good. You know, all good things will work out for good. Really, believe. Do they love God? <laughs> that promises are only for those who love God. That's for you and I to hold on to. But not only does his grace bring in enrichment and everything, all things, it also in verse 5 we see that he, it, this, his grace brings enrichment in all utterance. What does that mean? Well, utterance in the original language here we see means logos or word. 
one's speech. We are now able to share an outwardly expression of God's word, to speak forth God's word to someone else. He's given that ability, that gift to speak out all utterance. This also is speaking to the spiritual gifts that God gives by his grace, such as the speaking in tongues and and, and interpretation of tongues. And trust me, we're going to cover that in more detail in chapters 12, 13, and 14 when we get to that in about two years. (laughs) At this rate. (laughs) But we'll get there. And we will see what these gifts are, how these gifts are to manifest in someone's life and corporately, and we will see how these gifts are the purpose and the use. So his grace brings in enrichment in all things, all utterance, and in all knowledge, also in verse 5. What does all knowledge mean? It's not just knowing but he says, in all knowledge means a deeper, more perfect understanding spiritually. An inward understanding. So these, by his grace, he's going to give you all utterance, meaning outwardly expression of understanding by communicating the word. But he also will then give you all knowledge, which is not just knowing and quoting and all these other things that many people do. Even Satan can quote. But I'm talking, taking the word of God, he says, and he's going to make it perfect understanding spiritually. Um, But not just intellectual knowledge, but by God's grace, by the power of God's spirit. We gain a deeper personal understanding of the Bible. That's what we want, is it not? God's truth, I don't want to just know it. I want him to take me to such a deeper level that he takes that all knowledge and it takes it to an application level in my own life. So many people know the word, but they don't know and have not applied the word and how it's applied because they don't like the spirit of God to apply it. Anytime the word convicts you as you're sitting there, you immediately discard the conviction. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear those words from it. I know those are the word of God. And you, and you push back because you don't want to change. And my brothers and sisters, we do not want to stay the same. As God ministers to you and, and, and convicts you and changes and brings to light things, you want that deeper application into your life so you can apply it. That is why we gather. That's why we learn, we grow, and spend time individually with our Lord. But we also do it corporately together. We want that. And, he's, and, it's, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, his grace will bring you this all knowledge so that you can, t- all these things that are going on in the church, if you allow him to take this, his grace to bring this all knowledge to you so you can apply it to your lives, it will then, it will clean up and fix up the church. So it's not only, his grace brings enrichment in all things, spiritually, in all utterance, in all knowledge, but also in all salvation. Verse 6 here. They had the testimony to the effectiveness of the message of Christ in their life. It, this, this wasn't just the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you could see it in their life. 
What they said, where they went, how they treated it, where they go, everything. It was in their, they could see it through their kids, their every, every relationship. You could see that the gospel of Jesus Christ changed their lives. It transformed their minds and the work of God is confirmed in them. Isn't that a great testimony? For someone to look like Paul is looking and saying back to the Corinthians here, I see it's been confirmed in your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can see you're saved. I can see it in your life, how it's played out. Yes, there's problems. Yes, there's things. We're going to deal with those in a minute here. But I still see the grace of God in you. testimony of Christ in their lives and it was also confirmed to them in the word see we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us and the witness of the word before us confirming do you think this delegation that possibly came from the Corinthian church and traveled 200 miles were people that were looking for personal gain no they were desperately asking for help to help get their church back in line to get it back on track that was serving Jesus Christ, focused on Jesus Christ. They were not focused on themselves anymore or the things of the world or becoming like the world. As we see today, we see these churches turning into entertainment theaters, entertainment programs, social program systems. There's nowhere in the scriptures that talks about make the church a social program or become a theater. It is all about the love and the, and the, and the, and the, 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 the serving of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then allowing us to be empowered by him to do the things that he will call you to do in those good works. The other thing we see here is that in verse 7, is we see this enrichment happens in all gifts. It means charisma or charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure you know this, if you're here new to Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel is a charismatic church. Did you know that? We believe that all the gifts that we see in the scripture are for today. That the Holy Spirit uses those gifts working in the body, you personally and in the body. That it will live through his children, and as the Holy Spirit works, we see the Holy Spirit works through you and the body. In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, all things be done decently and in order. We know if the Holy Spirit is working and giving you a gift, or one of the gifts, or multiple gifts, it will, spiritual gifts will, will be a time of you worshiping, even a closer relationship worship with God, and also will help the body as a whole. And it will be done in a decently and an order fashion. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But we are not, at Calvary Chapel, charismaniacs. We do not act out with gifts based on our self-driven feelings and expression to get attention of ourselves to, or to create a false spiritual movement to get people spiritually revved up. That we do not do here. Take note in verse 7. Paul says, you come short in no gift. He highlighted the fact that he knew that the spiritual gifts were being 
God was providing and giving these spiritual gifts in the body there. Paul thanks God for the gifts among the Corinthians here. He says even though they were acting cardinal, they were acting in the flesh as brothers and sisters, causing some problems in the church, he recognizes that the gifts were not the problem. Having the gifts of the church were not the problem. It was their attitude and their beliefs about the, the gifts or how to operate those gifts within the body. The church lacked no spiritual gift. The church was not lacking anything to be a good, solid church serving the Lord and doing the things that God has called them to do. This tells you and I something very important there when you read that. The flow of spiritual gifts exercised in a man individually or in a congregation corporately is not an indication of spirituality. It's an indication of God's grace and his grace alone. So many people say, oh, do, did the whole church speak in tongues? That must be a spiritually filled church. That is not accurate. We see that a church can have gifts, but still not be spiritually walking very healthily. They could be in carna, carnality going on in that church. The gifts of the Spirit are not dependent upon or attained at any level whatsoever for your spirituality or mine or for the church. They're a simple matter of being recipients of His grace. This means ministry and spiritual gifts are not based upon how we are doing at all, but solely upon what God wants to do and through us at that time. He gets all the credit. He gets all the honor so that we don't get puffed up and our heads don't explode to think we're more spiritual than someone else. It is his gift, his grace to you to help in your relationship with him, period. Are you tracking with me? Now, the third area, his grace brings security. And we see this at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. And in end of verse 7, it's for those who eagerly are waiting for the revelation or the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will, he says to them, confirm you to the end. In your Christian walk on this earth, he is going to confirm and hold and establish you to the end. You can hold on to that. That is security for you. That is security for me to know that he's going to confirm and establish you through your life here on this earth. The Corinthian, the Corinthian Christians had their strong points, clearly. But they have a lot of weak points, too. And we will see those laid out by Paul. But Paul praises God for their pauses and expresses confidence that God will take them through these weak points. That he's going to mature them and help them grow through these weak points that they have. And he will confirm them right to the very end so that they would be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remain blameless. Can any of us sit here in our own personal minds and say we're blameless? Absolutely not. 
But we don't go based on what we're thinking and feeling. We're going to go based on what God is telling us and that he loves you and I so much that he is going to bring us through to the very end and we will be blameless in front of him. Why? Because he's, by his grace, he's, he brings security for you and I. But how can Paul be confident of this when this Corinthian church has so many problems? And the reason is he can be confident is because of God is faithful. He is the one who has called them into the fellowship of his son. So he is the one who will confirm them to the end and present them blameless. See, Paul is promoting to them and to you and I clearly that the sure cure of their problems the diagnosis has been made. <laughs> they have really cardinal lives. They're really self-centered lives. And it's causing problems in their fellowship. But Paul says, but here's the solution. Here's the cure for you. That is Jesus Christ. I'm going to promote to you and understand and help you to understand that your security is by his grace and his grace brings security. And if one will take their eyes off the of self and put it onto Jesus, you will be healed. Paul had no doubt. There was no doubt in his mind. Because the Corinthian believers were justified by God's grace. It's by faith you're justified by faith and faith alone. Not on your good spiritual works. Not on how many you get away and stay away from your don'ts. And it's certainly not about keeping track of how many you do's. It is by his grace, by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, you've been justified. And because Paul knows they've been justified by faith, that they are saved, he has absolute confidence that they will stand before Jesus Christ blameless when Christ returns. And if that is true for them, it is true for us today. And his grace brings security when we remember that he is coming back for you. He says, it says right in the scripture, he's coming for us. Jesus comes for his church. He's not forgotten you and I. He's going to come back for you and I as his children and take us home because he has prepared a place for us. And when he comes back for his, his church and Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will rapture his church to him. As we see here at the end of 8, Paul calls it the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 2.17, he calls it the, um, uh, Acts 2.17, 2, I think it's 2.17, it is called his last days. And in Acts 2, when we see the day of Pentecost came along, and that day of Pentecost, the church was birthed, and then at that point, he could have come back and taken his church home to heaven at any point over the last 2,000 plus years. Could have gone right there that moment the Pentecost happened. It could have happened that day. It could have happened the next day. It could have happened a thousand years later. It could, it could happen today. Whoop. No, it didn't happen. So it could happen, but it could happen tomorrow. It could happen a, year, a thousand years from now. But he's coming back for his church in a twinkling of an eye. 
We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58. And we see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17, which says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, when we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That is fact. That is truth. That is what we're looking forward to. Soon and very soon. And this speaks of the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead, and this is the same event. This speaks when Jesus comes back for his church. The rapture of the church will happen, which then starts the seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, which is his second coming, and has put his feet on, the, on, on this earth in Jerusalem and establishes his millennium kingdom after the battle of Armageddon. And we see all that. And you can go back for your light reading today in Revelations 19 and 20. Are you looking forward to that day? Soon and very soon, I certainly hope. It's soon. Not only does his grace bring security because you keep our eyes on the fact that he's coming back for us. That keeps us a light touch on this world. But it also confirmation for us in verse 8. Because at the end of the church age, Jesus who will also confirm you to the end. The grace of God confirms us, establishes us, that we will be blameless when Jesus Christ appears for us. And we become blameless when we come to faith in Jesus Christ alone. He forgives us of all of our sins. He makes us as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, Psalm 103.12. In Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and their lawless deeds I remember no more. See, this security you can hold on to today. Your security is in him because you're in the palm of the right hand, in the palm of the right hand of the Father. Nothing is going to snatch you out of that palm. Security as a guarantee is certainly not an excuse for you to go out and sin. That should not be your motivation. Knowing you've been saved is not a guarantee, okay, I can go out and sin and do whatever I want to. That is not the reason why God has given you that guarantee, of that guarantee of security. His, His grace brings security not for you to go sin, but to do the opposite, to repent and go away. And rather, it is security to take the step forward on the basis of growing in your relationship with him. Growing in that relationship of love. Growing in that relationship of trust. Growing in that relationship of obedience of God. That's why you can take that security and take those risks to go and flat out live for Christ. Because you have security. Because God forgives and God forgets. He has placed you as a child of God in a position, positionally, in the eyes of God, we're blameless. Yes, I understand. Practically, now we are still dirty, rotten sinners to the core. But we've been forgiven. And we focus on the fact that where we are 
positionally in Christ blameless, which gives us the security to live for him. And the fourth area, we'll wrap this up here in verse 9. His grace brings assurance. We have looked at God's grace from the past. We're so thankful for what he's done in our lives, right? Amen? We just looked at the present, how he's enriching your life spiritually. He's giving you total security to live for him in this life on this earth. But he also now, Paul writes about the future assurance for them as they're going into transforming from this life into the life into heaven with him. And how do we have absolute insurance of God's grace? How do we know this? He gives it very clearly to the Corinthians and to us today. It is based on the faithfulness of God. Verse 9, the first part of verse 9. Look at that. It says, God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. Revelation 19, 11, he is called faithful and true. Hebrews 10, 23, he who promised is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, the Lord is faithful. Do you get the point? He is faithful. God is faithful. It doesn't matter how you feel at this moment or yesterday or the day before when you didn't know how you were going to pay for the bill or how you're going to get out of this and you're sick and about feeling like you're about to die and you're not sure. God is faithful. Because his word tells us so. And as longer you walk with him, you will show, he will reveal to you the testimony, just like these Corinthians, that God is faithful in your life. You get to my age, you have a lot of history to see how God has been faithful. And he'll be faithful to me to the very end because he's confirmed me to the very end, the scripture tells me. And I hold on to that regardless of how I feel and regardless of what other people tell me. Anyone who go contrary to the, the, the word of God, just look in their eyes and say, get behind me, Satan. Because that is not truth. I hold on to the truth of God. I hope you are too, because God is faithful. But the question, maybe the next question in your mind is, is God's faithfulness dependent upon you? Is it dependent upon us? Is his faithfulness depends on us? He'll be faithful if I'm faithful. No. No, no, don't believe that lie either. We see that in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if, or in the correct tense, it's since we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13. Hold on to that. Even though we're not faithful. Even though regardless how many times we've messed up and we have fallen down, he is still faithful. We have absolute assurance of his grace. Allowing us to keep getting back up. Lord, dust off that, that mud that splattered on me. Lord, clean me up. I know you've forgiven me. I know this, Lord. I recognize that. I repent of that. Lord, help me. Get back up. He'll, he'll clean up the mess. He's, he's already taking away the mess. He, he, sometimes we can get dirty, but he's faithful. He'll help us to get, to, to get back up when we've fallen down because he's faithful. When you get back up and you continue to abide in him, he, we are called to follow him. We see at the end of verse 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are called into his fellowship. 
The fellowship word here, as you know and I know it, is koinonia. It means this, this communion with one another, this close relationship with him and with one another. It is not about religion, people. It is about a relationship. It's not about the law. It's about love. It's not about duty. It's about a desire to have a relationship with him. God is looking for a close relationship, an intimate relationship, an intimate fellowship with you. That's what he's desired. It's why he created you, to, for you to worship him and to, to be, have that intimate relationship. with. That is it. If you ask me one question, what can I focus on, Pastor, how I can grow spiritually? Worship him more. Learn to worship him. Learn to praise him. Learn to be thankful. Learn to be secured in him by his grace that we have seen in the scriptures today. Because we are called into the fellowship of, with Christ while being at odds, even with even things that are coming against us from the world and even against it within ourselves and stuff. It's so important that we just... Give it all to the Lord and allow the Lord to deal things in your life because if you causing strife and division and all kinds of things, it hinders your fellowship with one another and it hinders your relationship with God. You cannot enjoy fellowship with Christ while you're at odds with other members in his body. We see that in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. We are called, he called us to be holy. God has called us to be set apart for God, by God. To worship him, to love him, to love one another. And it's just on this emphasis that Paul made his transition from God, what God has done in the past, what he will do in the future, to what the Corinthians need to do presently, namely, Mend their divisions. And he will now go next week into verse 10 and he is going to start working through one by one those things that were causing problems. So remember today, his grace brings thankfulness in our heart. God brings enrichment in our heart. God brings security in our heart. God brings assurance in our heart. And yes, my brothers and sisters, his grace brings and will bring you joy and peace in your life this day forward. Because his, his, that's what his grace brings. Do you believe it?